create that air? Do you create the lungs that are able to breathe that air to fuel your whole body? No. Did you create food? No. Did you create your digestive system that actually can take that food, digest it, turn it into energy so that your body can run? Did you do that? No. See, all the most important knobs God has placed on his side of the wall, he is in total charge. Not one of us is going to breathe one breath longer than God ordained, no matter how much hard cardio you do. And you should still do hard cardio. Guess what? you're not really in control. Now, that might be a hard thing to think about right now, but think about it this way. Do you choose to breathe? Are you controlling your internal organs? And do you know precisely when your heart's going to beat? Pastor Daniel reminds you today that God is ultimately in control of all of it. Whether you like it or not, your body is submitted to his authority. But remember too, God is good all the time. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Esther chapter 1 as he continues his message, The Bachelor. The Medo-Persian Empire was very well to do. You get this whole thing about the decorations. Those of you who like interior design, you have some, some, some ancient stuff to work with here. You find out about beautiful colored curtains and drapes purple in that culture. I'm wearing purple today because I know I was going to preach on it. Because purple was, it was a, a sign of royalty. And purple was very, very expensive to buy in that culture. And so the fact that there was purple hanging from silver rods is significant. You find out that all the couches were of gold and silver. That's a strange material for your couch to be. Right? It's like maybe leather or pleather or stitched or whatever, but I said pleather in church. That's right. We're sophisticated here at Crossroads. It's good. But gold and silver couches. And the floor, we find out, is a mosaic of alabaster turquoise and white and black marble. So this is some gaudy business. Like, this palace is beautiful. That's what we find. And then the king brings out golden goblets for everyone to drink wine in. No goblets the same. And what that means is that there's this huge party, everybody's there, and everybody has their own unique gold glass of wine. And the king brings out his entire wine, all the wine that you can imagine. And it it makes a note that the drinking was not compulsory, which means everyone didn't have to drink because the law, they couldn't do it. But there was more wine and goblets. So this is a, we would call it in this generation, a rager. Is a rager. And if you don't know what that means, praise God. <laughs> but that's what this is, right? Now, we find out also that Queen Vashti, the queen, right? King Ahasuerus' wife, so her name is Vashti. She's having, a, he's, she's having a party for the girls. Now, that might seem strange, but in that culture, it was a lot more normal where the men would have one party and the girls would have another. But listen, it's not really that strange, though, because you know what it's like when you get a whole bunch of guys and girls together, right? The guys end up around the TV watching the football game. Kind of? Does that happen? And, and, and the gals hang out in another area. 
Stereotypically, it's that way, not for everybody. I know some of the girls like to watch football, and some of the guys like to talk about the interior decoration. I realize it's sophisticated culture, but, but it happens that way, right? Where it's like the, the groups kind of segregate off, and, they're, and so they're having this party, right? And Vashti's having her own party. Now, what we find out in verse 10 is this is where the, the plot starts to thicken. Because what goes on is, on the seventh day, we find out that King Ahasuerus is merry with wine. That is the biblical way of saying he was drunk. Okay, so he's drunk. Right? And he brings in all of his wise guys. Right? We have these mehumen. Now, you know what the beauty about biblical names are? You learn this when you're a Bible teacher, is that you just say the name like you know how it's meant to be syllabified, and then everybody believes it. If you're in the South, it may be mehem. You know I mean? Everyone's got a different way to syllabify the name. But either way, these are some ancient names, and these seven eunuchs who serve the king, right? And he calls them in. He says, listen, this is what I want you to do. My wife, she's beautiful. And I want to show her off. Right? So he says, I want you to go get my wife, Queen Vashti. I want to show off how beautiful she is. Right? Now, you want to know the principle that we can learn from King Ahasuerus right now? Don't be dumb. (laughs) You write that down. Don't be dumb. Now, I'm I'm using specific language because, can we be honest? Xerxes is being dumb right now, right? He's drunk, right? And he decides he wants to objectify his wife in front of everybody there because she's so beautiful. And really, we could say, oh, King Ahasuerus, yeah, he's a bad dude. But, but let's be, don't we all do dumb stuff? I mean, how often, how often is our life made challenging because we chose to be dumb? Am I, can I see a show of hands? Yeah. And for those of you whose hands are down, that was dumb. Because <laughs> we all are prone to doing dumb stuff. None of what's going to go on is going to happen. But King Ahasuerus is not making good decisions. He's not being smart. He's being dumb. And so we can learn from this. You've got to ask yourself, how am I being dumb right now? Like, what am I doing that just in the long run, is not smart. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Why am I doing this? Now, in King Ahasuerus' case, he had been drinking, and so that will impair his judgment. But for a lot of us, we have to think about what impairs our judgment. Sometimes wanting to be liked impairs our judgment. Wanting to be right impairs our judgment. Wanting to succeed, however we quote that. However we look at that. See, a lot of us make bad decisions. And notice I'm saying us and not you because I'm primed for making dumb decisions too. But we have these reasons that we end up doing dumb stuff. Because we feel, oh, I can't believe they would do that and I'm going to show them. That's a dumb reason to do anything. You're going to show somebody. Because you know what happens after you show them? You realize that what you did was dumb, Right? Like, why did I even do that? Like, I was, my pride got hurt. This thing happened, that thing happened. So don't be dumb. And I say that because I realize that all of us have a great capacity to be dumb, to make decisions for the wrong reasons in the wrong situation. And so what I want you to do is I want you to encourage one another that if you notice someone's doing something dumb, you need to look at one another and say, don't be dumb. Because you know what the problem when you're being dumb is? You don't know it often, right? Don't be dumb. And it's not unloving, it's not judgmental, it's just straight up honest. 
Like someone should have told the king, like, king, listen, that's not so cool to do to your wife. Like you got, you've been drinking, you, you, you're just going to shit. Oh, look how beautiful my wife is. Why would you do that? It doesn't honor her. It doesn't honor your guests. Definitely doesn't honor. It's not very royal of you. What are you doing? He was just being drunk and dumb. So it's a good lesson, isn't it? You got to ask yourself, and maybe you got to ask the people close to you, is there anything that I'm doing that's dumb? I know what the beauty is if you ask them, they'll tell you. They've been waiting, you know, and if you ask your spouse that one, that's kind of a scary one because they've been, they've been trying to tell you. That's the beauty of a spouse, right? They'll be like, oh, yeah, man, you know, you really probably shouldn't do that. And then you're like, am I doing anything dumb? Remember the thing I've been telling you for like the last five years? So don't be dumb. This is, this whole situation is about as dumb as it gets. It's like he's been partying, and literally he's been having a six-month party, and the last, it's like, it's like the, the climax of the party, he decides he's going to trot his beautiful queen out. Now, it says wearing her royal crown. Now, it's interesting. Some commentators say that he's asking her just to come out just in her royal crown. So I don't know that it actually says that, but there's been a lot of discussions. You can read the commentators of what he's actually asking her to do. But what you find is that she says no. And all the wives are like, yeah, I can imagine saying that, right? Like, oh, he's been partying all week with his buddies and everybody, and he's going to have me come out in my crown. Like, who does he think he is, right? So she refuses to come, and the king, notice at the end of verse 12, therefore the king was furious, and his anger burned within him. Now, you know what's interesting about his anger? He's angry at Vashti, why? Because he's being dumb. And now what I've noticed, their anger is irrational in that way. Oftentimes, we set the stage, and then somebody responds, and then we get angry at them. Not always, but if you're angry, the first thing you should ask yourself is, have I started this? Have I set the stage for what's making me angry? And you know what you find oftentimes? We have done some stuff. We've set the stage for this. And what's making us angry, really, it's somebody's response to what we're doing. To what we've put in place. He's angry. Now, look at what happens. In verse 13. Then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's manner towards all who knew law and justice, those closest to him being Karshena, Sethahar, Admatha, Tarshish, Meres, Marsena, and Memekan, the seven princes of Persia and Media who had access to the king's presence and who ranked highest in his kingdom. What shall we do to Queen Vashti according to law? Because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus brought to her by the eunuchs. In verse 16, And Memekan answered before the king and the princes, Queen Vashti, has not only wronged the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will become known to all women, so that they will despise their husband in their eyes when they report, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought in before him, but she did not come. This very day, the noble ladies of Persia and Media will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen. Thus, there will be 
excessive contempt and wrath. If it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it will not be altered that Vashti shall come no more before King Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. When the king's decree, which he will make, is proclaimed throughout all the empire, for it is great, all wives will honor their husbands, both small and great. And the reply pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Memekin. Then he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province in his own script, and to every people in their own language, that every man should be master in his own house, and speak in the language of his own people. So, what goes on here is quite simple. She refuses to come. He gets mad. He invites his advisors around him, says, what should we, what should we do? And this guy named Emekan says, I got an idea. This is bad. Because she sets the stage. For, she's the, the highest ranking woman in the kingdom. And if she's not going to listen to the king, then none of our wives are going to listen to us. So, you need to get rid of her. You need to make an example of this woman. And what does the king say? Sounds good. Now, you might be saying that's not so nice. And it isn't. But that was the way the world worked in that time. What do we learn from this? What do we learn from Queen Vashti? We learn the lesson that we have to, don't forget who's in charge. Don't forget who's in charge charge. See, although Queen Vashti, maybe it was right for her to say, I'm not going to do that. She forgot that all of the power was her husband's. The king could do what he wanted to do based on law. And I think one of the mistakes that we make is sometimes we forget who's in charge. Now, you and I know who's really in charge. God's in charge. As Maranatha would say, the Lord is the boss. And I love that about my daughter because her and my dad have this great relationship and, and my dad will go to Maranatha, I'm the boss. And Maranatha for a while was like, no, I'm the boss. And then finally Maranatha was like, no, no, God's the boss. And then my dad doesn't really say anything after that because that's kind of uncomfortable. You don't want to be like, if he goes and say, well, I'm the boss instead of God, then I'd give him that dirty look like, who are you kidding? What you talking about, Willis? You know what I mean? But God's the boss. And, and listen, whether or not you believe in Jesus or not, he's still the boss. Your belief or lack of belief in him does not elevate his position. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the fatal mistake that Vashti makes is she forgets who's in charge. But that's the same mistake a lot of us make. We forget who's in charge, who gets to make the rules, and who gets to enforce the rules. It's the idea of living under authority. And all of us live under the authority of Jesus, whether we submit to it or not. But if we submit to the authority of Jesus, he calls us friends. And if we choose not to submit to the authority of Jesus, he still loves us, but he will treat us as the rebels that we are. You know that you are not in charge of your own life. You know how I know? Think about your heart beating. Do you make it beat every day? No, you don't. Think about the air you breathe. Do you create that air? Do you create the lungs that are able to breathe that air to fuel your whole body? No. Did you create food? No. Did you create your digestive system that actually can take that food, digest it, turn it into energy so that your body can run? Did you do that? No. 
See, all the most important knobs God has placed on his side of the wall, he is in total charge. Not one of us is going to breathe one breath longer than God ordained, no matter how much hard cardio you do. And you should still do hard cardio. Our days are numbered by the Lord. And we have to realize who is in charge. And ultimately, as followers of Jesus, we realize that God is in charge. And then we also realize that God has placed other people in charge over us. Let me give you an example. I was just talking to someone recently. They got fired from their job. I'm like, why'd you get fired? Oh, well, the boss told me what to do, and I told him I didn't want to do that. And I'm like, well, that was pretty dumb, wasn't it? He said, yeah. If you work for a boss, that boss has to make the decisions. And even you may not like, you may think the decision's wrong, but that's not your call. But how many, I mean, we live in a question authority culture. Thank you, hippies turned boomers, Right? Question authority. But you know what the problem is? Is there certain times you could say, well, look, the speed limit says I'm not allowed to go over 60. Well, I wanted to go 90 because I could. You get pulled over. The cops would say, well, that's great that you thought you could. Here's your nice citation. Right? Because you forgot who's in charge. Like, if you go onto a, a highway, there's police, and they get to, they get, and even if the police is wrong, they're still the ones who have the authority in that situation, whether we like it or not. And I think for all of us, it's so important to remember who's in charge. Not only that God is in charge, but in all the spheres of our lives. Now you might say, well, that is not good. See, that's the problem. That's why I don't like Christianity because it's, you know, it's, everything's just going to stay the way that it is. Nothing's going to get better because this is the way it goes. No, no, listen. If everybody remembers who's in charge, and if God is in charge, and God will call us to love people, to serve people, to be compassionate, kind, all these things. Not that everyone always gets it right, but that's the way it's supposed to be. So everybody has to remember who's in charge. And in your life, what you will find is that all of us have multiple authorities in our lives. I think about here at Crossroads. I might be the lead pastor. There's a board of directors. I'm accountable to them. If I go in, the board says, hey, that's, you're doing a terrible job. Then I have to change or I can't be lead pastor here. See, everybody has authority. Vashti forgot who was in charge. What she did ended up costing her her crown. She's banished from the kingdom all because she forgot that her husband, the king, was the one who called the shots. Now, of course, you can make the case, is it right, is it wrong? In some ways, it's inconsequential. See, King Ahasuerus is responsible for what's in his authority, and we are responsible for where we are. And as long as it's not immoral, you could say maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But don't forget who's in charge. And ultimately, God's in charge of your life. And I think if God is in charge of your life, you will also honor the authorities that God has placed over you as well. Because that's what, isn't that what God says, right? If you say, Lord, should I, should I honor the authority above me? The Lord's going to be like, oh, no. No, of course it is. See, and that's what, when you have authority issues, it's really you have a problem with God because God teaches us how to be under authority. Jesus was under authority. And for most of us, we don't like being under authority. So we resist all the authority. But really, being under authority is the way God designed us. We were designed to be under authority. Ultimately, God and then other peoples. And that authority, it's a mutual authority. So look at what happens next. Chapter 2, verse 1. After these things... When the wrath of King Ahasuerus subsided, he remembered Vashti, what she had done, 
And what had been decreed against her, then the king's servants who attended to him said, let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan the citadel into the women's quarters under the custody of Hegei, the king's eunuch, custodian of the woman and let beauty preparations be given them. Then let the young women who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti, and this thing pleased the king, and so he did. Now, I call this season one of The Bachelor, because this is The Bachelor right here. So you got the king of the Medo-Persian Empire, he's now single, and he remembers Vashti. Now, what you, history tells us is that King Ahasuerus went out on a bunch of uh, military expeditions. Almost all of them failed. So there's a time lapse between Vashti and this party and him putting her away and now him realizing, oh, I mean, I miss Vashti and I'm not married and, you know. So there's a time period where he has these lapsed military conquests. And then he's like, oh, man, what are we going to do now? And the servant said, listen, this is what I want you to do. We're going to go through all of your kingdom. We're going to bring all the beautiful young virgins. We're going to have them come. We're going to put them in the women's quarters. They're going to be under the care of a eunuch named Haggai. And they're going to be given spa treatments. Literally, that beauty preparations. It was perfume, all, all these different things that they did. Right? And then the one who pleases the king, that's going to be the next queen. And I call the season one of the bachelor. Because the only thing that's missing here is the rose and the virgins. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Yikes. Sorry. I'm not sure about the second one, but the roses are missing from the TV show. Now, historians tell us, like Josephus, that there was 400 young women who were chosen. Now, I, I can't belabor it because I don't want to spend all my time on this, but like, you might say, this is horrible. And in some ways, it is because the king gets to do whatever he wants to do. These women, the women who weren't chosen, they ended up living as widows for the rest of their lives, couldn't get married. And you have to realize, if you look at history, every culture that does not have the finished work of Jesus as its foundation, that's the way women get treated. Every single one. And you look at any culture where the gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation of a culture, and you find women have a whole different set of rights. Why? Because Jesus was the great champion and liberator of women. Jesus is real. In today's message, you were introduced to Esther, a Jewish woman taken as one of several women to be potentially chosen as queen, following the current queen's dismissal. Pastor Daniel reminded you that this treatment of women was the cultural norm, though now it's against what many believe. God, on the other hand, cherishes women. You'll see him using Esther in a powerful way despite her circumstances. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Thanks for joining me on Jesus is Real Radio. I realize that not all of you who listen are followers of Jesus, but I actually believe that there are many of you right now as you've been listening, you're saying, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I want his death and resurrection to be applied to my life. And if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me, which is just saying thank you to Jesus for saving you. Let's go ahead. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
and I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, I'm so stoked for you. And I want to get some more resources in your hands to help you continue this journey. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400, 51400, and we'll get some resources into your hands. Now don't go anywhere. Some folks from my team want to share some amazing things with you. Thanks, Daniel. Again, if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel, take out your cell phone and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. We'd love to get some resources into your hands, and the Crossroads team wants to connect with you. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel encourages you to take action. God has placed you in the circumstances you're in for a reason. You might not know what that reason is, but you can trust your Heavenly Father. Put your faith for right now in your Creator who holds all things in place. And now that this faith is set, do what needs to be done to bring glory and honor to the kingdom of God. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.